This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Today, reading is coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 21. And when you find it, would you please stand? Verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become king. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men, sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in the honor, but we are disrepute the present hour we hunger and thirst we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor working with our own hand when reviled we bless when persecuted we endure when slandered we are entreated we have become and are still like the scones of the world the refuse of all things I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me, that this is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere, in every church, some or arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord will. I will find out not to talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talking, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again in the name of Jesus, Lord, looking to you, praying, Lord, that you enable us to receive your truth, enable us to understand. We pray, Lord, that we are affected by it in that we are conformed more to the image of Christ. As your word says, Lord, we are sanctified by your truth, and your word is truth. Father, I ask that you enable me to speak and deliver the message you would have delivered here. Enable all of us to hear. Work it all for your praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Amen. We've got a contrast once again uh, before us this morning in this passage. Um, and remember just some of the uh, some of the issues here that we've been discussing um, that that lie uh, in the background and in the foreground of Paul's writing here. Um, there, that is the Corinthian church, their pursuit of worldly wisdom. They're getting caught up in, in, uh, in the desires for the wisdom of the world rather than the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. So they're beginning to value um, worldly ways, worldly thoughts now more than God's truth. And we've talked about their conflicts with each other, the divisions in the church, the, the tears in the garment, so to speak, um, the schisms. Some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm, I'm of Cephas. And, and we've talked about the reasons for those things. 
And all along, I've, I've uh, been sharing a little bit that, that uh, one of the main things that is taking place here is a division between the church as a whole, that is the church at Corinth, and the Apostle Paul. And so that is what Paul is dealing with uh, specifically in chapter 4. That's what he's addressing. So he talks again about the nature of the ministry. You go back to verse 1. He says, this is how one should regard us, referring to himself, Apollos, Peter, the other, the others as well. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, Paul says, we're just stewards. You're God's field. You're God's building. Apollos and I, we're not, we're not competing. We're not working against each other. We're co-workers. Working, doing God's work. We are stewards. That is like household managers. We've been entrusted with what God considers to be very valuable. So Paul is saying, we're not, we're not above you, but we're also not, not to be um, despised. We're not below you. We are God's workers. We're faithfully bringing you the gospel. Don't put us on a pedestal. Don't disregard us. We're, we're bringing you the truth, but again, as servants of Jesus Christ. So he's talked about the nature of the church, about the nature of the ministry, and, and that's continuing here as he deals with their conflict with him. Now, he begins to, to get into some of the specifics here, and you can, you can tell how, a little bit about how their minds were working here, how they were adopting some of the thinking of this world. The, 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 they're, they're being enamored with philosophy or, or with eloquent speech, um, words of worldly wisdom. You can begin to see how some of that is working out and how, they're, how they are applying it, or really, you should say, misapplying it. Uh, to the Christian life. And so, Paul begins to lay out some contrast. Here's, here's where you are, and, and what he's really doing is, uh, this is what you think of yourself. Here's where you are, and here's where we are, speaking of himself and Apollos and the others, the apostles. Here's where we are, and there's a, there's a contrast here. And he's pointing out their wrong thinking. And in the process of doing that, he's employing um, you may find this a little shocking, but you, you can read it here. He's employing sarcasm. So, um, I'm, I'm, Leslie always talks about me being sarcastic, so I'm scriptural when I do that, okay? Um, well, maybe not. But, but Paul is employing sarcasm here uh, to make some em- emphatic points. So, we're going to work our way through some of this, and I just want to say a little bit of an um, um, introductory note here to give us something to think about. It, it, I'm just trying to make personal application here, and it, it, it is always astounding to me, I mean, wh- whether I see it in somebody else or in myself, I and mean, it's just, just that, that we do this, it, it's always astounding to me how we confuse pride with power and how that plays out in the Christian walk. I mean, we, we can do all kinds of things. Um, of course, one of the ones that, that stands out in my mind is, is, uh, is preaching. And it's astounding to me how preachers can put off such a, or, or operate in such a, uh, a, a prideful manner and it be put forward as and received by many people as power. Now, I'm not, you may say, well, you're being very critical. I'm not, I'm not just pointing fingers. I'm telling you, all of us are susceptible to this, and I'm not excluding myself. And it, it takes various forms. I'm just saying it's easy to do it. It's easy to do it. And it's not only easy for preachers to do it, it's easy for all Christians to do it if we're not careful, if we're not very careful. And and I think uh, constantly praying for God's grace to enable us to see clearly what's happening here is everything's getting muddied up for the 
Corinthians, and, and they're, they're getting, uh, adopting a very prideful attitude as they set themselves one against the other, as they set themselves as a whole against the Apostle Paul and maybe some of the other teachers, and as they embrace some of the worldly thinking. They're getting all caught up in pride. I mean, that, that's what is, is behind it. It's what's at, at the core of it. But they think, but they think um, it is actually the power of God at work. So Paul is, is correcting them here in, in a not-so-subtle form. He says, I, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. I mean, but you've got to kind of wonder about that. Well, you sure, Paul? That's not what you had in mind here? Because uh, he, he does shame them. I think, of course, what he means there is mainly he, he wants them to see it. He's not trying to put them down. He just wants them to see it. Wants them to see what they're doing. It's, this, this has nothing to do worldly wisdom, esteem for whether it be teachers or, or other uh, people in the congregation who are gifted in certain ways, that, that, kind, of, that kind of esteem, it, it's not God's power at work. It's not operating by grace. I mean, this is totally fleshly pride lifting up its ugly head. And so it's, it's messed up their whole thinking, again, about the nature of the church and about the nature of the ministry. So they, they have here what what Paul's dealing with in these verses we're about to look at, what, what Gordon Fee calls an over-realized eschatology. Now, let me just kind of explain what that is. We, we know as, as Christians, um, we, when we come to faith in Christ, when God saves us, we are brought into the kingdom of God. It's, it's a now reality. But, as we've mentioned many, many times, the truth that the Bible puts forward, I believe, is this is a paradoxical truth. We live in the already and the not yet. So, yes, it's true we're members of the kingdom of God now. We're citizens of heaven now. We're in Christ now. We're saved in one sense now. But none of those things are in their complete form. Not even our salvation. You've heard me say that. A lot of times, salvation is a process. A lot of times we like to say things like, well, you know, if a a person's been saved um, one year, and this guy over here has been saved 50 years, this guy that's been saved one year, maybe he's just been saved five minutes. He's just as saved as this guy that's been saved for 50 years. Well, I understand, you know, I've said that kind of thing lots of times. I understand what we mean by that. What we're saying is he's no more a child of God than this saint over here. Uh, or this saint that's been saved for 50 years is no more a child of God than this guy that's been saved for five minutes. And that is true. But God is doing a work in every believer that will be, future tense, brought to completion. That has not been done. That's why Paul speaks, for example, in Philippians 1 and says, uh, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it so, I mean, if you've, if you've been saved, genuinely saved for five minutes or one minute or one nanosecond, you can have the confidence that God will complete it, but it's not complete yet. And eschatology refers to, it comes from a word that means last, so it, it, it refers to the finished product, the end, where we're going to wind up, our eternal state. And we all know that in its completion, the kingdom of God will mean for us that we enter into the presence of the Lord forever. Now, there's, there's, again, there's, there's a sense in which we're already in the presence of the Lord. God dwells within us as believers. But there again is that paradox. You're already and you're not yet. <laughs> so, so, am I saved now? Well, yes, in one sense. But in another sense, no, it's not come to completion. Again, all you have to do to realize that is look in the mirror. You don't have your glorified body yet. And that's not an insult, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm again, again, I'm not excluding myself. 
But you look in the mirror, or you just, if you're like me, all I have to do is sit down for a few minutes and then try to get back up again. And uh, my brain at that point goes a lot quicker than my knees and my, you know, my ankles and things. They don't cooperate as quickly. I'm thinking, well, I'll just get up and go get something. And, and uh, my joints um, don't move as fast. See, Jordan knows. Because <laughs> I don't have my glorified body yet. My salvation is not fully complete yet. Now, that's not bad news. That's good news. We've got a lot to look forward to. We just read in Psalm 116, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. That's a glorious thing to move from this life into eternity from a Christian perspective, from God's perspective. We've got a lot to look forward to. The whole point being, we don't have the fullness of it yet here. They seem to think they do. And this is a mindset that is not unique to them. Unfortunately, it's prevalent in our day as well. People tend to, and I say people, I mean Christians, professing Christians, have a tendency to confuse the kingdoms sometimes. I mean, you listen to a lot, of, there's a lot of books you can pick up and read and a lot of Christian radio programs you can listen to, and you will think uh, almost um, that the United States of America is the kingdom of God, <laughs> or that it was intended to be. And that's not so. It's not so. Don't confuse the two kingdoms. Or people think, you know, that, well, we read for, in Ephesians 1, we have all blessings, right, in Christ. God has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. So, so we think, um, okay, well then now, I'm walking in the fullness. I've arrived. I'm perfect. And then we sin. Hopefully we realize it. <laughs> and we're kind of devastated. Well, what, what's up with that? What happened? We're, yes, it's already, but it's also not yet. Now, just kind of keep that in mind. This is what Paul is correcting here with um, his, uh, his sarcasm, what I would call a sarcastic indictment against the Corinthians here. He, he, yes, he's doing this kind of roughly, but it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know, shake and wake up. Wake up. Snap out of the, the pride thing. And, let, and let's, let's seek the real power of God. So, verse 8, for example, he says, Already you have all you want. You see what he's saying? You're, you're full. Now, if you've read Revelation 3, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus um, speaking to the churches there in Revelation 3.17, says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched. Pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's similar. Paul says here, already you have all you want. You, you're not, there's nothing to look forward to. You've got your best life now. Already you have become rich without us. You have become kings, or that, that can be translated, you, you've began to reign. And again, you see that they're thinking, um, their eschatology is, it's, it's arrived, it's here, it's now. We've already begun to reign with Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Already you've, you've begun to reign. You've arrived. You, you know from reading uh, Philippians, Paul says of himself, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm going to keep pressing toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Jesus Christ, leaving those things behind, right? Because he says, I've not attained yet, but they're thinking they've attained. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you began to reign. And Paul says, goes on to say here, would that you did reign. He says, I wish you did. I wish the completion were here. I wish it was here now. I wish that were the case. Would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. 
hear that coming from the Apostle Paul because <laughs> Paul is oftentimes writing from prison. He's suffering beatings, shipwrecks, being stoned by people who uh, don't appreciate the message that he's preaching. You see what he says? I wish, I wish it were true so that we could reign with you. Paul's saying, I'm ready for that. But it's not reality. It's not here. You've already begun to reign. You started without us. <laughs> I wish it were true so that we could reign with you, but it's not true. And here comes the contrast. Verse 9. Now he speaks of himself and the other faithful servants of God, men like Apollos and Peter. For I think, verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. So he goes, he moves from the, from the sarcasm, you're full, you're rich, you've begun to reign. Here's where we are, nakedness, peril. Starvation, imprisonment. That's quite a different, quite a different testimony there. And he moves from the sarcasm right into the straight talk about his own, his own uh, circumstances, his own condition. Him and Apollos and the others. In verse ten, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. Now he's getting back to sarcasm. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Now, they, they consider themselves to be wise. In fact, um, and it's hard to tell, you know, when you, when you read these things without all of the details, but it's hard to tell how much of this they, they realize, but they have come to the point where they consider themselves too wise for the simplicity of the gospel. You remember that from the earlier chapters why Paul keeps talking about the, the, the essence of the gospel. Christ crucified, the word of the cross. They've, they've become too wise for that. They're looking for something better that sounds better. You know, something that, that tickles the ears. Something that is more palatable to the, to the masses. Something ultimately without power. Plenty of pride, but no power. That's what they're looking for, and Paul is, is, uh, is again, showing the contrast in, in their thinking and, and the reality, the truth. Now, let me go back over his statements about himself and Apollos here a little bit. Keep in mind, again, the Corinthians see themselves as without want, they're lacking nothing, become rich, already reigning, according to Paul's statements here. Yet, he says, God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Now, I found this interesting. Not, not long ago, um, I saw again, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever sat down and watched this movie, um, you know, from start to finish. But over the years, I've seems like I've seen it a hundred times because I catch pieces of it here and there. But uh, the old movie Spartacus, um, anybody remember that? Yeah, good movie with... Was it Kirk Douglas? I think it was. Um, and uh, I know the acting is a little corny, but sometimes in those shows. But, but uh, you know, good story. And w- they were making them fight. You know, they had all these slaves, and, and Kirk Douglas is one of them. And they're making them fight the old, uh, the gladiators uh, games. And when they would come out there in, in the arena, um, they would first you know step up before the emperor. And say, we who are about to die salute you. Now, Paul is using language here in this passage uh, that indicates, there seems to be a wide agreement among commentators on this, that, that indicates that that's what he has in view. Or at least one of two things. That's, that's one. The other one. A lot of times a conquering general would go out, uh, return home victorious, 
and and he would put, he, you know, he'd bring back the spoil from his victory, and he would put at the end of the procession those who were condemned to death. And when this conquering general, whoever he may be, would be marching into his home city amongst the cheers of the crowd, there behind him at the very end of the procession, those men whom he's taken in battle and who are condemned to death. They're about to face death. Now, now the NIV actually translates it with that in view. I don't have it before me or I'd read it to you, but if you have the NIV, you can see that there. It actually translates it uh, with that in, in view. Either one of those two things uh, Paul seems to have in mind here. So, so look at it again, verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Now, we're at the end of the line, or, or we're the least. And again, he's, he's trying purposely to draw a stark contrast. You've put yourselves on a pedestal. You reign with Christ. You don't have need of anything. You're full. You're rich. We're just servants of God. And, and we're, we're, we're the least. We're, we're at the end of the line. We're men condemned to die. Which is what he goes on to say. Like men sentenced to death, the gladiators are those who were thrown to the beast. We're last like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle. Another word, by the way, that, <clears throat> that seems to indicate that he has those events in view. Now, they were referred to uh, sometimes as spectacles. And those who were thrown to the beast, or those who were uh, at the end of that procession, those condemned to die, they were, they were considered spectacles. So God has made us last, as men sent us to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. You're on, here's kind of the picture, I mean, you're, you're on top of the world, Paul says. You've you've got it all. You're you're full. You're rich. You reign. Or like we say today, right? You rule, Paul says. And we're just we're just men condemned to die. So while while you're enjoying the ease and the comfort and the pleasures and the esteem of this world. Paul says we're suffering reproach. So again, he picks up, as I mentioned a moment ago, he picks up the sarcasm again in verse 10 and says, we're fools for Christ. And remember, earlier he was begging them to become fools because that's the true wisdom. Forsake, in other words, forsake the, quote, wisdom of the world and embrace the foolishness of the gospel. Because worldly wisdom, in truth, is foolishness. And because the wisdom of God revealed in the Gospel is, in truth, wisdom. But we are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we... In disrepute. Now, these, this verse just begs for, it seems to me, or, or calls on us to engage in some self-examination. I remember years ago there was a, a fan, and I'm not... Don't misunderstand me here. I'm not criticizing this man. I'm not even going to mention his name. Uh, because uh, I think this is often true of all, 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 probably most of us here in the United States. Um, but there was a famous evangelist years ago had a book called, uh, and I don't remember if it was an autobiography or, or just a biography that somebody wrote about him, but it was entitled, A Prophet with Honor. Now, that, that's a, um, a noble title. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, can, can you see that epitaph on Paul's tombstone? 
Can you see that on Peter's or James or John, a prophet with honor? Or what about Jesus? A prophet with honor. That's what Paul is saying. There's something going on among you, the, the Corinthian church. There's something going on here that is uncharacteristic of the Christian life. Paul knows that he's living and preaching the truth, and it's, 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 not, a, uh, it, it's, it's not pride in his case. I mean, he's not setting himself up on a pedestal. He knows that he's preaching the gospel that Christ personally entrusted him with. And he sees a contrast, a difference between what he and others who are doing the same thing, what they are experiencing, and what believers like the Corinthians are experiencing. And he's saying there's, there's, something, there's something out of whack here. He, he seems to be suggesting that there ought to be a consistency between the attitude, the, the heart, the mindset of a Christian, which, you know, including the behavior and how we, how we engage with one another and, and those around us in the world. There should be a consistency between the attitude and mindset of the Christian and the message that we preach. The Gospel, which, which is a message of condescension, humility, self-denial. None of that seems to describe the believers at Corinth. So Paul says, here's here the, here the facts. Here's the contrast. We're fools for Christ. But you're wise in Christ. We're weak. But you're strong. You're held in honor. But we in disrepute. Verse 11, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. A point that Paul often points out. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Let's just stop there for a moment and think about, think about the Savior Think about Jesus' life, what He experienced. Think about His teaching. For example, He says, a a servant is no greater than His Master. In fact, it's enough for a servant that He be like His Master. Now, think about Jesus' life and ministry, His experience. Is there a a consistency here? Is there a continuity between His and and that of Paul and Apollos and Peter, in the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. Why, even Jesus, Son of Man, had, had not place to lay His head. And we labor working with our own hands, Paul says. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. Very similar to what Peter says about Jesus, and in fact, what Jesus instructs us to do. And when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, I ask you, is, is, there's, I mean, there are a couple of possibilities here. Paul's having a pity party. That's one. <laughs> I mean, he's just—he's having a bad day, and uh, you know, he's feeling sorry for himself, and he's just blowing things way out of proportion. Maybe he's jealous of the Corinthian people. I guess that's one possibility. Um, but I wouldn't—I wouldn't—I wouldn't go there. Maybe, maybe he's using hyperbole. 
And he's just really overstating things to make a point. Well, he, he does some of that. I mean, in, in the sarcasm, again, that we were just reading, he talks about the Corinthian situation. You become rich. You, you are full. You, you've already begun to reign. Yes, he's using hyperbole to, to emphasize, um, well, how ridiculous their behavior is and their thinking. But when he gets down to describing his own situation, and again, that of the other apostles, he, he's shooting straight. And we know from other records that we have, Second Corinthians 11, for example, when, where he just lays it out, you know, how many times he was beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. His weakness that he discusses in Second Corinthians 12, his thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Besought the Lord three times to take it away. And, and the answer was no. God's response was, My grace is sufficient for you. Now, all of those things. Here's, this is what Paul and Peter and Apollos and these other guys are experiencing. Do you see a consistency in their experience and that of Jesus Christ? Or we can say it this way. Is there a consistency in, in their life and manner and the Gospel? The Gospel of a crucified Lord. We work so hard, don't we? Oftentimes to, to be accepted, to be highly esteemed, to be thought well of. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we ought to go around trying to make enemies. Paul himself says that we're to do the best we can to be at peace with all men. But, I think, from what I see here, if we're faithful to do that, that is, to, to, to work our hardest, our best, to be at peace with all men, yet, at the same time, staying true to the Gospel, then what we're going to find in this world is tribulation, oftentimes in suffering, persecution, Jesus said, in the world, you have tribulation. And you can ask the same question about the Corinthians, the way Paul describes them here um, in their pursuit of worldly wisdom, in their love for uh, rhetorical skill, eloquence, in their esteeming you know, one man over another or one group over another, them thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. You can ask the same question. Is there a consistency there? in that manner of life and behavior with the Gospel? Is there a consistency there in, in their behavior and attitude with the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's what Paul is getting at. The, the life that we live ought to be consistent with the message that we preach, the Gospel. Now, I know, they, they, they had even gotten off base with the preaching of the Gospel, apparently. So, so let's just say it this way. The, the life that we live ought to be consistent with the Gospel. The true Gospel. The truth. Christ crucified, the Word of the cross. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Our life, our conduct, our speaking ought to be consistent with the gospel message, ought to be consistent with our Savior, the person of Jesus Christ, who condescended, who made Himself of no reputation. That is, He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a servant, was obedient to God's will, even to death, all the way to the cross. He was obedient. So Paul says, while, while you reign, we're the scum of the earth. And that, that word there is just, it's just a scum, you know, like after, after cleaning the, the scum, the gook, you know, you'd throw away. Paul says, that's, that's what we are. The scum of the earth. 
of the earth, the refuse of all things, what, what you throw out. There's even a hint here um, of the, the idea of scapegoat. Um, it's used that way um, in, in some other writings, not, not, not Scripture, but in some other writings. Um, with with the, the scapegoat of the Old Testament in view, the one who is sent out, who bears the iniquity, but is cast out in a way. And in Athens, Greece, they would they, sometimes if they suffered, um, it's, it's, the same language here is used in uh, extra biblical writings in this way too. Um, sometimes if they suffered catastrophic events, you know, like uh, like we had a Hurricane Katrina or something like that, they they suffered some kind of event like that, they would cast a person into the sea hoping to appease the gods. You know, regain favor with the gods. That's the language Paul is using here. That we are the refuse. The one cast out. The one cast into the sea. The scapegoat. While, while you reign and rule and are full and are rich, we're homeless. We're suffering this repute. You're honored. We're dishonored. We're the scum of the earth and the refuse or the off-scouring of all things. So there's a huge contrast. Now, what is Paul calling for? I want to come back uh, and deal with it more tonight, but um, just to sum it up here, it's an abandonment of the pride for real power that only comes with godliness, godly living. Now, Paul's already told them up front, My Word came to you in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I think Paul believed he's speaking to genuine Christians. They've just gotten off base. So he's reminding them, I didn't come to you with you know worldly wisdom, eloquence of speech, plausible words of wisdom. I came to you in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And what does he mean by that? Well, we talked about that a few weeks ago. In other words, their lives were changed by the Gospel. And that's, that's the real power. That's Gospel power. It's, it's not uh, the ability to, to, to win an audience, you know, to gain a following... To have the world hold you in high esteem? It's not to exceed worldly wisdom or even to be on par with it. I mean, the world's idea of wisdom is skewed. It's corrupt. So that's not where we need to go. And that's not where the power is. The power is in the Gospel. The message of a crucified Christ and the power... Manifest in a changed life. Paul is saying this, this pursuit of worldly wisdom, not only will it not conform you to the image of Christ, but it has the opposite effect. What's happening is you're being conformed to the world. You're becoming more like the world. And your whole theology is distorted. You think what's here now is what you're supposed to seize on. This is the reward. You, you think you reign now. This is it. Your best life now. And what they should be pursuing is godliness. Being Christ-like. That's, that's the power of the gospel, it changes lives so that a person like Paul, and we touched on this uh, in Sunday school. If you were in Sunday school this morning, Brother Carl um, made some good statements about it. A, a person like Paul or Apollos, Peter, whoever it is, you or me, believe it or not, because of God's grace, can endure the kind of kinds of afflictions, persecution that Paul is describing here. His, his life is not one 
that the world would look at and be impressed with. But it was a life full of manifestations of God's grace, God's power. That's, remember the thorn in the flesh and God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. You, you don't need the, the thorn removed. You just need my grace. Now, what, what is God's purpose behind that? Real, real quick, and we're going to have to go to another passage, and, and I'm going to close with this. 2 Corinthians. And remember, he's speaking to the same group of people here, incidentally. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to read through this quickly and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll dismiss in, in a couple of minutes here. So hang on. Verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And by the way, that's, that's the goal. That's Paul's intention. He wants to, to display to the world God's grace in the gospel. Or the way he says it here, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? Verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. Notice how similar the language is to 1 Corinthians. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing Power belongs to God and not to us. And this, that's at the crux of it. In other words, it, it's all intended to, um, to put our, our trust in God, not in ourselves. I mean, if you're seeking worldly wisdom, the whole, the whole thing there is uh, you know, building up self-trust. On the other hand, um, if, you're, if you're seeking doing the will of God, um, what, what's going to happen there with growth is more and more trust in, in God. So these things happen, Paul says. We're, we're going through all this so that um, to show, or to show rather, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse eight: We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perished, but not driven to despair; persecuted, but not forsaken; struck down, but not destroyed; always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The suffering, the affliction, whatever we deal with in this life, Paul is saying, is so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. That is, in and through us. It can be seen in our life. So, Paul wasn't going through shipwrecks, stonings, beatings, imprisonments in vain. What he's saying is, we're living for the glory of God. It's not for self-glory. We don't need the esteem of the world. The world needs salvation. We need to take them the pure gospel. That's their only hope. It's our only hope. It's their only hope. We live for the spiritual welfare of others and for the glory of God. Verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We're always giving ourselves over to death, Paul says. Isn't that something? The Christian, in one sense, walks around every day, day in and day out, with the death sentence over us. John the baptizer said it this way, about Jesus, he said, He must increase. I must decrease. Paul said, we die daily. Kill the deeds of the flesh. 
So, in one sense, we've always got the death sentence on us. We're not here to glorify self. We're here to glorify God. We die, but Christ lives in us. Right? That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It's Christ. So, I think it seems like to me kind of a dual meaning there. In one sense, it's just a metaphor. We're always sentenced to death. Put, the, put self, put the flesh to death for the glory of God. But in another, another sense, it's a reality. Everywhere that Paul went, I mean a physical reality, everywhere that Paul went, practically, he was suffering. Somebody was out to kill him or do him harm. Now, here's the bottom line, and we're done. You might say, well, you know what? I live in the United States of America, and, and uh, right now nobody's throwing rocks at me, and I can't make it happen. If that's what it takes to be a Christian, um, what do I do? You know, we're not suffering here. Um, first of all, um, be patient. Because <clears throat> it's probably not far away. But secondly, that's not really the issue. What Paul is, is trying to bring down here and bring into submission to Christ is their faulty attitude their faulty perspectives, their fallacious perspectives of themselves and of the true work of the Gospel and the true servants of the Gospel, in this case, the apostles. So He's not telling them, you know, you, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been this, I've been that. You need to run out and do that. You know, make sure that happens to you. No, He's just saying, understand, you're here for the glory of God. You're not here to lift up self. You're here to lift up Christ. You're here to show Christ to the world. You're here to preach the Gospel. Your manner of life, your attitude, like Philippians 2, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be consistent with the Gospel. It's one or the other. You can have the pride or you can have the power. Would you stand, please? We're just going to dismiss with a word of prayer. And Lord willing, see you back tonight. Amen. Six o'clock. Guys in the... Knowing God class, 5 o'clock for y'all, okay? Um, looking forward to it. Um, Zachary, you mind leading us in a word of prayer and we'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.